Turn your Bibles this morning to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. For we're going to be working on memorizing the books of the Bible in our Sunday school class on the Old Testament. At least the Old Testament books. We're currently in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That's what we're looking at. Uh, but maybe somebody here doesn't know, but in the New Testament there, all the T's are together. Your first and second Thessalonians, first and second Timothy and Titus. So, you know, in your mind, you're wondering, well, where's first, you know, if you get into any of those books that start with T, you're, you're in the region because they're all linked together. So if you didn't know that, you learned something today. All right. You got something. Uh, so I want to read this text to you. The message I'm going to bring this morning is uh, Timothy's charged to preach. He was charged to preach in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 1 through 5. He says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and at his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Paul here exhorting and challenging Timothy to preach the word, giving him some very clear instruction regarding this ministry as part of his calling of God upon his life. There are many misconceptions regarding preaching today and the job of the pastor and what he should be doing and everybody has a uh, personal opinion and a preference as to what the preacher should talk about and what he shouldn't talk about and there's things that are okay and things that aren't okay and how loud the preacher should get or how quiet he should get or how engaged he should be or how disengaged he should be some years ago I had somebody get upset at me because I sang during a message uh, because that's not preaching that's singing and singing is for singing and preaching is for preaching and you shouldn't mix the two well, if you guys been here very long at all, you guys know on occasion I break out in song, you know, <laughs> that's, just, that's just God's put a song in my heart, amen, and sometimes I'm excited to sing it and, uh, you know, it's just there's different people feel like, well, this is what a preacher should do. Uh, there's a new minister stood in the pulpit one Sunday and was bringing a, the challenge of the Word of God. He had just come to this uh, exciting new church. He was thrilled about what God was going to do with him there and how him and the church were going to grow together and following the service, he walked to the back and was greeting people on their way out. Most people were pretty cordial. Most people were pretty kind. And thank you, Pastor. Good to have you. Glad you're here. Great message. Everybody was leaving. But one man came by and he said, that was a very dull and boring sermon, sir. The pastor, you know, well, okay, uh, sorry, you know. And he, he waited a few minutes. He's saying goodbye to some more people. And the same man came by. He said, I don't think you did any preparation for your message today. Wow, the pastor thought, well, I certainly tried, but okay, uh, saying goodbye, greeting people, chatting for a little while. And again, the man walked up and he says, boy, you sure blew it today. I don't think you really had much of anything to say. 
later that day, kind of burdened about it all, all overall, he thought, well, I don't know why this man was so bothered by what I had to say. I, I think I'll speak to one of the deacons of the church and see, maybe get some insight. He, said, he went to one of the deacons, had been there for a long time, and he says, uh, this individual came up and said these things to me. Uh, what should I do? And the deacon said, oh, don't worry about him. He, he's a little bit slow, and uh, he just repeats things that he hears other people say. <laughs> So that, that sometimes uh, that's the case. We want to have a right uh, regard and appreciation, hopefully, for the preaching of the Word of God, realizing that's what we come to church for. The fellowship is good. The singing is good. The, the time, uh, you know, hearing what's going on on the calendar is, is needed and, and the announcements and getting updates from our missions is all part of the work of the ministry here. But it's really uh, churches to be focused around this aspect where we open the Word of God and we present and preach the Word of God. It is uh, my calling of God, and, and the church called me here, voting me in to fulfill this position here. And it's a job that God has given me to preach the word. The sad thing is, is many churches today are canceling their services. They're letting go of the preaching times. They're replacing them with group Bible studies and uh, this home fellowships and uh, uh, the sound preaching of the Word of God is being replaced with pop music and carnal worship and clowns for Christ and m magic for the Master and every other kind of thing that people can bring in to engage and entertain. And we're letting go of what the ministry of the pulpit should be is preaching the Word of God. Amen. Bringing the Word of God to life for God's people that the Holy Spirit of God can do a miracle in their heart. I want to give you a few things here about his challenge to Timothy. First of, first of all, we see the man that is called to do this, that is challenged to do that. He says, I charge thee. I charge thee. He's talking to Timothy to do this. Therefore, before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Can I tell you that every man is different? Everyone who stands behind the pulpit and they function and roll inside of their skills and their talents, their strengths and their weaknesses. Every man has different strengths and every man has different weaknesses. There may be somebody that you once knew, a pastor, a preacher somewhere that ministered to your soul and was skilled or gifted in a particular area. But can I just say that I'm not that man. I'm not that individual. I, I praise the Lord for the impact and the influence that that person had on your life for that segment of time. But don't try and put me in their box. I am who I am. I have to function inside of the skill set that God has given me. Some pastors are great producers. Boy, they get things done. They're around, I mean, they're administrator par none. I mean, they, they get things done. When they're around, they're great producers. You know, quite often, many guys like that that are producers are not very good people persons. But, you know, some people, some pastors are very good people persons. They, they really engage people and you know what, the people don't really care that not, not much is being done because pastor is just fun to be with. 
He's just a joy to be around and he ministers to our heart just when we're with him because that's his personality, that's who he is and he's a gifted in that aspect. Some preachers are masterful pulpiteers. They can stand in the pulpit and expound the scriptures in such a powerful and dynamic way. It ministers to all that hear it and they're, they're, they're gifted that way. But every preacher is different. Some are great professors. They have the ability to teach. And just to, to get that, to, to somehow bring the, the entire group along and give an understanding where people walk away with so much that they carry with them. And they're, they're just gifted in that aspect of teaching. But I just want you to know that everyone's different. In the New Testament, they listened to Paul and they sat and they thought, wow, listen to this man, listen to his doctrine, listen to how gifted he is. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel and his, his understanding and grasp of things is phenomenal. But they sat and listened to Peter, who was the preacher at Pentecost, and they said, wow, listen to this ignorant fisherman, to this unlearned preacher. What I'm saying is God calls each individual inside of the skill sets that they have to do the job God wants them to do them. Beloved, I sincerely wish I could take the best qualities from all the gifted men that you have known and that I could be that for you. I sincerely wish I could. But I know my limitations. My strengths and my weaknesses are my own. I must function inside of those. I must use the strengths God given me to the honor and glory of Him. And I must work with the power of Christ on my weaknesses to be more of what I should be for you as God's people and to further the work of Christ. I just ask of you patience. And the church has been very patient. Very gracious and kind to me. And I thank you for that. I just want you to know that all of them are different, but all of them must be qualified. Would you turn back to chapter number three? We're in chapter number four. We just want to look briefly at the qualifications. I'm going to try and fly through these, but there are listed for us the qualifications here in verses, chapter three, verses one through seven. He says, this know also that in the last days, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boaters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without. Uh, let's see, am I in the wrong passage of Scripture here? Oh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm sorry. That's why I'm reading the wrong. There we go, 1 Timothy chapter number 3. Um, he says, this is a true saying, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Could I just encourage you young men that this is a good thing to desire? To desire the office of a bishop, to desire to be a preacher? Where are the young men who desire to expound and, and to share the word of God with God's people? There is literally a famine of them today. You go to any Bible college and the ratio of boys to girls is almost two to one. For how many girls there are to how many men say, oh yeah, I want to be a preacher. I want to preach the word of God. He says here, if you desire the office of a bishop, you desire a good thing. 
One young man came out of church, climbed in the back seat of his car, and he said, Mom, I want to be a preacher. And she was excited. She said, well, that's fine, son. That's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. What convinced you then, and that you wanted to be a preacher? He says, well, I figure if I got to go to church every Sunday, I'd much rather be standing up yelling than sitting down and listening. <laughs> His motivation might be off, but he desired it. Amen. It's a good thing to desire. Now, just by way of instruction, doing a little bit of teaching, Bishop, I want you to know, through the, throughout the Bible, the position of the pastor is called many different things, and we have different titles, but uh, you know, he was called this position, the man was called a pastor, was called a shepherd, called a minister, called a presbyter, or uh, an elder. Those are synonymous terms, and they're really speaking about the, the individual and their age or their experience, an elder, somebody mature, and then a bishop or an overseer, and those terms are synonymous, and that is speaking about his position, what he does to oversee. Now, I don't use or, or ask people to call me reverend. Um, that's a very common term today, reverend, uh, because... Reverend literally means one who is due reverence. And I think reverence belongs to God. And I think the position of pastor should be respected. But I don't know that I'm worthy of reverence. I think reverence belongs to God. And so that's why I don't necessarily encourage or use the term reverend. It doesn't bother me. Somebody, a lot of times many people, especially that aren't part of our church, will say, hey, reverend, you know, and that doesn't bother me, but I'm just letting you know my thinking and why I don't maybe encourage that. But he, the title here, bishop, the office of a bishop, is somebody who's going to preach the word of God, going to hold the position of pastor. I want you to see here there's a list given as to what he should be. Verse number two there, and I'm going to fly through these here, try and go very quickly because we've got a lot to cover, but he says a bishop then must be blameless. Blameless. Beloved, that does not mean he's not accused. You do anything for very long and somebody's not going to like it and they're going to accuse you. You know, of course, that an accusation doesn't make you guilty. I could accuse Brother Hunt of eating six donuts this morning. Doesn't mean he did. <laughs> I, you know, it's just you can, you can accuse somebody of anything. It doesn't make them guilty. But the idea of being blameless... Dad always said it means you don't have a handle. It means somebody can't look at you and say, well, he's a liar. And it's something that sticks, that people know that to be true about you. You can be accused and everybody knows that it's a fact. That's what blameless means. It's not, not that somebody can't say, hey, they don't like this about you or that, but they, they have something about you that, that everybody knows sticks because you have that character flaw or problem. So he's supposed to be blameless. He's supposed to be the husband of one wife. Let me just throw this out here. This point here is, you know, I don't know where you guys stand. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. That's to preach the truth. A husband of one wife means that a pastor should not be divorced. Okay, divorced men, we have many divorced men in our church, and they, they're godly men, they're, they're, they're great men, they're used of the Lord in the ministry here, they can do many things. Uh, we had a divorced guy come and speak at our uh, men's retreat that we did last year. He came and spoke at the retreat for us and challenged the men. Listen, he's gone through some hard things and he's endured and went through some struggles and, and he could use that to help and encourage the men to stay the path and to do what's right. So 
men that have been divorced can do a lot of things, but they are no longer qualified to hold the position of pastor. And there are many pastors down through the ages who, who have continued to fulfill the position of pastor even though they weren't qualified. If that happens, you've lost the qualifications of being a pastor if you've been divorced. It's just the rule. It's just what God said. There, yes, you can be forgiven. But you understand when things happen in your life, there are still consequences. There are still ramifications. And this is one that God has given to us very clearly here. Secondly, with regards to this, the husband of one wife, I think it very clearly teaches to us that the pastor should be a man. He's not to be a woman. Can I tell you, there are many men and all women who hold the position of pastor that aren't qualified to do so. That is not very popular today. I don't want to be, I don't want to offend anybody here today. I know by and large in society and the world and even in Christendom today, that is accepted and encouraged. But the Bible doesn't say that it's okay. The Bible is very clear. The husband of one wife. If you're going to hold that position, you've got to be the husband of one wife. You can't do that and be a woman. The Bible is also clear in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man. Not to usurp authority. Well, the position of pastor is the position of authority. The bishop. We said the word means overseer. The bishop is the overseer, the pastor is the overseer, and if, if he is the overseer, if it's a woman, according to that verse, it's not right. Because a woman is not supposed to usurp authority over men. Now, we're going to move on. So, if you're frustrated with me, get it out of your system, okay? <laughs> just, just let it go for a second, and let's listen to the rest of it. You can come back to that later. Uh, but I don't want you to miss everything else. We're just going in order. It's what the Bible says. We want to preach the Bible, not what we think, right? Not what's acceptable in society or popular today. We want the Word of God. We want to fit inside His Word. So He tells us here, it means to be the husband of one wife. He's supposed to be vigilant. That means temperate. That means in self-control. To be sober. That does not mean uh, not drunk. He deals with that in a minute. Be sober means to be sober-minded, to you know, be sound in his mind, to think clearly. Uh, be of good behavior. Good behavior. Listen, it is not appropriate for pastors today to be edgy. They use language and terminology that's right on the edge. Like not necessarily wicked, but certainly not holy. They're using terms, and it's not appropriate ever for a man of God to curse in the pulpit. Right. There are pastors that curse in the pulpit. And they're like, well, why shouldn't I? You guys talk like that all week, and then you get offended because I stand up here and do it from the pulpit? Yes, we get offended about it because it's a sacred desk. It's a holy position. You're preaching the word of God. And although men have faults in their life, we don't bring them into God's house and wave them around. Amen? 
We, we're not be, you know, men of God. They're supposed to be sound-minded. They're not supposed to be edgy. They're to be of good behavior, to have good behavior about them in their life. And they shouldn't be living on the edge. Doing edgy things right on the, the cusp of acceptable or not. Getting lewd and crude in the pulpit. Talking about things that are marginally inappropriate. We've got to be very cautious about that. You say, Pastor, you're preaching it yourself. I, I know, this is for me. It's not for you guys. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, Pastor, we're not preaching. I don't know why you're telling us this. Uh, yeah, I know. I just want you to know what the standard of the Word of God is. He says, be of good behavior. Given to hospitality. That means he should be friendly. Apt to teach. Willing to and able to teach the Word of God. Not given to wine. We could stop there a while too, but the pastor shouldn't be drinking any time. Not just a matter of, of it, there's a whole other lesson on, you know, not, not drinking. It's not given to wine, and people will use that as an excuse to say, well, I'm not, I'm not drunk with wine. I'm not given to wine. I just like a little bit here and there. I don't think it's acceptable. We're not supposed to be drinkers. No, no striker. That means in control of yourself, not, you know, don't have a temper and, you know, lash out. I don't care what happens. I, I do not care what happens. The pastor should never take a swing at somebody. That is a man that is not in control of his spirit. And as far as I'm concerned, he's disqualified to pastor. We want to stand and say if he's been divorced, he's disqualified. And, and there's a lot of people take a stand on that. Listen, if he's given to anger, the Bible says make no friends with an angry man. Amen. And if he's given to anger and not in control of his spirit, he's not qualified to pastor. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Okay, that means not in the pursuit of the love of money. Not greedy of filthy lucre. Not wanting all, 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 get, 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 get. No, he should be somebody that the money is not the priority. That is not to say that it is a sin or wrong for the pastor to have anything nice. It's okay if the pastor drives a nice car. That's not sinful. But the car shouldn't be his priority. He shouldn't be looking for that. And this church has been so gracious and good to me beyond measure. The deacons want to give me a raise. And I'm like, I don't, I don't need a raise. You guys are already, you know, don't, don't do anything for me. You guys are too good to me already. The church blesses me beyond measure. Uh, I'm, I'm just sitting at awe at how good God has been. And uh, so that's, that's not, it just shouldn't be the pursuit of man that, oh, yes, I want to get more. He should be patient. That means reasonable. He should be a reasonable man. You ever found somebody that was just unreasonable? <laughs> well, hopefully it's not your pastor. <laughs> he should not be a brawler. That goes on with not a striker, not a brawler, not contentious. That means there is going beyond just the, the one, but... This is contentious in his spirit, just always up for an argument. Always ready, yeah, I'll debate with you about anything. You know, drop of a hat, we're going to argue about something. He shouldn't be that way. One that ruleth his own house well. He says here, having his children in subjection with all gravity. Uh, very clearly, obviously, for if man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he then take care of the church of God? I cannot stand in judgment of other people. In recent years, I've had many questions 
from other churches and pastors and ministries with regards to where's the line where this pastor is disqualified on his, with his children, his children are no longer in subjection. It, does that include when they're out of the house? Does, is it just as long as they're living in the home? Uh, where is the line for that? You know, obviously, where's personal responsibility come in? If a child's 28 years old and he decides to leave the faith and, and goes, is that pastor disqualified? Uh, I, I'm not going to say that he is. The, this clearly in the scripture here, ruleth his own house well. I believe there's some implication as to them children being in that home. But here's what I'm going to tell Hunt Valley Baptist Church where I stand. If any one of my children turn from the faith, you, you know my goal is, my thrill would be to pastor here for another 20 years. But if any one of my children at 25 or 35 or whatever turn away from the faith, I'll step down as your pastor. You might not like it, but that's what I believe, that God has put upon me that there is that responsibility to have raised my kids in the nurture and admonition of God and that they should follow the Lord and if they cease to follow the Lord, then I'm going to step down. I won't continue to pastor. Now, I hope we can make it another 20 years. Amen? Amen. Some people say, well, man, I can't believe you put that pressure on your children. Why? We all need all the pressure we can get to stay faithful and do what's right. I want them to know that nobody is an island unto themselves. We all affect other people. We can say, oh, I live my life, I can do what I want, doesn't matter, I don't affect anybody else. Yes, you do. You do. Everything you do affects other people. And obviously, the closer the proximity, the greater the effect. And so I'm just letting Hunt Valley Baptist Church know that that's what I believe for me personally. If my children walk away from the faith, I'll step down. Maybe with a broken heart, but I'll do it. Because I believe that's what's right. It's what God teaches He's not to be a novice. That means he needs to have some experience. He's to have a good report of them that are without. That means he's lived in such a way and practices his lifestyle out in the community, not just in the pulpit or here at church, but everybody that sees and knows him. There's a good report. They say, yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's faithful. Yeah, he's consistent. Boy, he pays his bills on time. Boy, he takes care of things. Uh, his house is not in shambles. His house is not a wreck. His yard is mowed. There's not a bunch of trash out all the time. I mean, overall, there's this, this it's, you know, the pastor's life is not just here on Sunday morning. It's all the time. He has to have a good report. The celebrity pastor of Hillsong, New York, was introduced on CNN. The CNN reporter said this, With his leather jacket and his body ink, Carl looks more like a rock star than the head of a church. Can I ask you, Christian, why does the world know more about what the head of a church should look like than the head of a church? Why does a lost reporter on CNN know that that's not the image of a pastor? And the pastor doesn't know that. You see, there should be a good report. The pastor should have a good report while he's out. Now, the young men that were thinking about desiring the office of a bishop have just decided, forget it. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not interested in that, boy, after that list. Uh, listen, it's a thrill. I love serving God. It's my privilege to, to, to fulfill this and do this for the Lord. And, uh, man, I, I wouldn't do anything else. It, it is such a blessing. 
We see he's got to be qualified. I believe that he should be called of God. Now, in one sense, I want you to know that we're all called to be preachers of the gospel. Amen? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. That's not given just to the pastor. That's to all of us. That's to every believer. We're all called to, to preach the gospel. We preach it with our life and how we live. We preach it with the tracts we give out and with our voice as we confront or talk to people about Christ. But if you're going to fulfill or hold the position or the office of a bishop, you must be called of God. First Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me that he hath counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. It's not something that he sought or that he did or that he made himself. God put him in the ministry. So I believe that he must be called. He must be committed. He must be committed. Now, I know some of you think, yeah, the pastor does need to be committed to a room with, with soft walls. Amen. Uh, but no, I'm saying committed as in dedicated. There's something that's there. Be instant in season, not a season. Instant means like instant coffee. Instant tea, ready, it's ready, it's there. To be, to be ready. Instant in season and out of season means when it's convenient and when it's not convenient. He's got to be committed to the calling of God on his life. To minister. Romans 1.15, Paul said, So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. He said, with everything I've got, I'm ready to do it. Anytime I want to, I want to preach the gospel. It's what God's called me to do. So he should be committed to the call. I want you to see, secondly, the method. The method. He says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. You see, the method, I want you to know that he says, I charge thee. These things are things that are to be of great importance. We understand that. The preacher is going to be judged by God. He says, I charge thee before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead. He says, hey, the message that you're dealing with is of utmost importance. You're going to stand before this almighty God one day and be judged for how you preach this word. Accurately, correctly, and in the right spirit. Preaching, beloved, is said to be teaching with an exclamation point. Yes, there is a place for teaching. That's what we try and do in Sunday school. Really give you a lot of information. And hopefully it's not information overload right now. But we try and do some teaching. But the preaching of the Word of God is, is teaching, it's expounding of the Scriptures, but with an exclamation point. It's, it's with some emphasis, with some importance behind it. It shouldn't be taken lightly. In the Hebrew, the word preaching is to call out. In the Greek, it's to herald and to announce the good news as the town crier would go forth and hear ye, hear ye, carrying the news of the king. That's how the preacher's supposed to do. To call out, to cry, to lift up his voice. Isaiah says that he lifted up his voice like a trumpet. And he trumpeted forth the call of the message of God. Paul, uh, the Bible says that he beckoned with his hands. He said, hey, hey, this is important. Are you listening? Are you getting it? He beckoned with his hands. Ezekiel said that he stomped his foot as he preaching the word. Come on. Let's listen. Let's hear it. What does God have to say? A young preacher asked John Wesley, how am I able to get other people to come and attend my services? And John Wesley replied, if you'll set yourself on fire, people will come and watch you burn. 
What he was saying is not, not get a little louder, not put on a show, not, not just... What he was saying is get the fire of God. Get God's power. And God will, and people will come to see Jesus in you. People will come to see God work through you in their lives. He's to reprove. That's what preaching is, is to reprove. You know, reprove means to scold sharply. You guys hear me sometimes. I say, hey, now, I'm trying to be nice. <laughs> you know. But you know the job of the preacher is to reprove? To say, hey, there's some things going on that shouldn't be going on. We're letting the world in when it shouldn't be coming in. We're participating in some of these activities that have no place in the house of God or in the house of a Christian. That's the job of the preacher is to reprove, to scold sharply. Can I tell you, people today don't like it. Pastors are challenged all the time and they have to, that old saying goes, tiptoe around the tulips. They have to try and very carefully and graciously interject the truth and almost sneak it in on you. Like, here's what God says. And, and, and because otherwise people are offended and, and they stay home from church. Because they can't take the sound, straight preaching of the Word of God. Oh, we don't, we don't mind hearing about Adam's sin. Just don't tell me about my sin. We don't mind hearing about sin in general in the world and what, you know, things that are going on out there. And we can say, amen, praise the Lord, bless God, preach, pastor, let them have it. But when the pastor comes down your row, getting close to your toes, we got to be careful lest Satan use the word of God and in your heart you get offended. The requirement of the preacher is to reprove, is to rebuke. That is to admonish or to notify a fault. And then to exhort. That is to invite, to entreat, to implore. Can I tell you, beloved, that the preaching is supposed to be designed to bring people to a place of decision. I have sat in services where I have listened to men gifted and eloquently stand and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then they closed with prayer and dismissed everybody. There was no exhortation. That is to entreat, to implore, to say, okay, yes, you heard what God says. And they did that eloquently and, and giftedly shared what God said. But there was no instruction to the people as to what to do now. Where do we go now? How do we make a decision? What do I do with what I just heard? Preaching, beloved, should give you, bring you to the place, right to the brink of decision. You're either going to decide to follow Christ or you're going to choose to follow the devil. And you say, oh, that's hard. That's what preaching is supposed to do. Bring us to the place where we have to make a decision. There is no neutral ground. You're either stepping across the line for God or you're stepping back towards Satan. And people that step back towards Satan leave offended and say, boy, I don't like it when he talks about those things. People that step back towards God say, man, that's what I needed this morning. I needed to be challenged to step towards God because I was drifting a little bit. I was getting a little out of whack and a little, you know, letting things bother me too much. And, and I wasn't focusing on what was right. It's what I needed this morning. 
and the pastor is to do so with all long-suffering. That's with the grace of God and patience. Preach the truth. I want you to understand, beloved. Please understand, I am never mad at you. I am never upset. I try and preach the word and I want to do so in a way that the urgency and the importance of the message comes across and kind of the Bible is described as a hammer. Shouldn't we feel it hit our heart sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. It's described as a sword. Shouldn't we feel pricked sometimes? But understand, beloved, from the heart of your pastor, I ask God to give me the grace to preach it in a spirit and in such a way that you'll hear the truth but never be hurt by it. But understand, I'm just a man and sometimes it comes across maybe as harsh or as mean and I just want to tell you I don't want to do that. I never want to do that. I want you to know how important it is but I don't want it to hurt. But we need the truth, don't we? That's what the job of the pastor is, and it's such a balance. But understand, I, I love you. Regardless of where you are, there are people in here that are on the very brink of just the, the, they just got saved, and they're just walking in their Christian life and just starting growing. There's people that have been saved for 30, 40, 50, 60 years and, or more. And everybody in between, and where you are, the job of the preacher is to exhort to encourage, to help you to keep moving forward for God. And I love you right where you're at. But I'm encouraged or challenged to try and help you move forward. I just want you to know that I'm never upset at you. I've never, I should never lose patience with you. I'm not going to say I don't or haven't because I am human. That's where I need you to pray for me. Because I I need patience, but I need that long-suffering. I want you to see the message. He says, preach the word. That's the message. Preach the word. The problem, beloved, is, is in verse number three, he says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth. The, the, the job of the pastor is to preach the word of God. Plus must nothing, minus nothing. Preach the whole counsel of God. To take this book and preach it. J. Vernon McGee said we're not to preach about the word. We're not to preach from the word. We are to preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. And I, and I ask God to help me in my preparation to put an emphasis and a focus and, and, and not just to, to read a text and, and run and say all of whatever I want to say, but to try and, and teach the word and to preach and expound the word of God. And I may do so some days more adequately than others, but know that's my desire to preach the word. We're to preach salvation, not sociology. We're to preach evangelism, not economics. Redemption, not reform. Conversion, not culture. Pardon, not progress. We are to preach the word of God, what God says for us. The doctrine that's present in the word. 
People need to have an understanding of what's said. With all long-suffering and doctrine, preach the word. The Lord told us clearly the time's going to come when men won't endure sound doctrine. God in his foreknowledge knew that we would be where we are today. At a time and a place where men have no patience for sound doctrine. The modern Christian's not interested in strong preaching. Like I said, we're all for it until it comes our way. There's an old farmer heard about Jonathan Wesley coming to town and he thought, man, a lot of people go hear him preach. I'm going to go hear him preach. And this, this farmer was a good man and he, he uh, didn't have a whole lot of use for religion, but he was a good guy. He felt he was very upstanding in the community and such. And, but he thought, well, I don't have a lot of use for this, but, I, but I'll, I'll go and hear Jonathan Wesley preach. And Jonathan Wesley got up and said, I've got three things I'm going to expound to you today. And he opened with his first point and he says, Beloved, I want you to know that you should get all you can. And he began to preach on industri- industry and, and being industrious and working hard and, and going out and doing the job you're supposed to do and, and earning and getting all that you can. And this farmer thought, wow, this is fantastic. I've never heard a preacher like this. Boy, this is good. I enjoy this. This, this, this man has something to say and people should be listening to this guy. And his second point, he said, you ought to save all you can. And you, you th- listen, this uh, wasteful society we live in today, he began to preach against needless waste and lavish living. And this old farmer, he was like, amen, man, that's good. People need to live a simple life. They don't need all that lavishness and all of that. He said, this is fantastic. And then Wesley got into his third point and he said, and you ought to give all God will let you give. And the farmer got up and left. Yep, he said something I don't agree with. It doesn't matter, beloved, that the Bible says it's more blessed to give than to receive. It doesn't matter that Jesus Christ is the greatest example of giving that was ever presented to us. It doesn't matter that the example of the believer is that we ought to be givers. None of that matters because, oh, that's not what I want to hear. There's going to come a time when men will not endure sound doctrine. We're living today in that Laodicean age, that day of lukewarmness, what I call casual Christianity. We like casual Christianity. Where is the commitment to Christ? Nearly 70 people had to be treated for hypothermia and frostbite on Saturday, January 13th, as they sat and watched the Chiefs and the Dolphins play football. The stadium full of people. It was negative four degrees at kickoff. Hitting a windshield of negative 27 before the end of the game. Thousands and thousands of people. I tried to find out how many people were in the stadium. I I, I couldn't come across it and was tired of reading about the thing. But thousands of people sitting out there in that freezing cold. 70 people had to be treated for hypothermia and frostbite. Can I tell you something? If that was a church function, the pastor would be charged for negligence and put in jail. 
That's what society would do to a pastor that held a church event when it was cold. Where's the commitment to Christ? When the world has a greater commitment to watch guys in tights throw a piece of of pigskin around, then God's people have to his house and his word, there's a problem. I remember as a boy growing up in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, I was telling somebody this this week, I don't remember who, what day it was because of all the snow we've had, but I remember dad out snow blowing the walks on Sunday morning at 30 below zero, getting ready for church. Today, if dad did that, the church would be empty. Because people, people aren't committed. People don't have that level. They've come to the place where they can't endure sound doctrine or straight teaching or the clear, unadulterated word of God. Beloved, I want you to think about the miracle of preaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verses 1 through 5, he says, And I, brethren... When I came to you, came not with excellence of speech or wisdom, declaring unto you the testimonies of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but with the demonstration of the Spirit and the power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The miracle of preaching, beloved, is that the Holy Spirit of God takes the word of God and changes us from the inside out. Can I tell you that I would not be here today except for some old-fashioned leather-lung preachers that got in my face and preached the truth of the Word of God and told me I needed to get right. Told me I needed to be at the altar. Preaching the Word of God. And it's one decision at a time. It's one service at a time. Through all the years that I've been in church and starting to drift and God lays a message on the heart of the man of God and he gets up and preaches it in the power of God. Not with the enticing words of men, but with the power of God and the Holy Spirit. The miracle of preaching is that God reaches down into the pew and he puts his finger right on my heart and he says, that's what you need to do. You got to stop living that way. Stop heading that way because you're headed towards a life of destruction and you're making Satan happy and you're breaking the heart of your Savior. Would you change today? And the altar call was given and the invitation was lifted and I came forward and got on my knees and said, yes, God, that's what I need. I need to be different. Lord, help me to do better. And through the years, over and over and over again, the preaching of the Word of God changed who I am and made me the person I am today. And can I tell you that I need a whole lot more preaching? We all do. And the miracle of it is, the miraculous thing is, it's not the guy standing up in front of you, it's the power of God, the Holy Spirit, and the power of His Word that reaches into your life and brings about change.
that makes us what God needs us or wants us to be so we can fulfill his will and bring honor and glory to him.